And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. We don't give enough credit to signs, and we really should. That sign over there tells you great French fries. That sign over there tells you this is your exit. And look at that legendary sign. It's the Motel 6 sign. It tells you a great night's rest at a great price. Book online at motel6.com. And use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Look for the signs. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a great price when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letter CP. Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. And we are all across the USA and around the entire planet. Ah, yes, technology. But no artificial intelligence yet. Good morning. This is Red Eye Radio. Download our Red Eye Radio app today and listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. Well, it's just me. Yes, we expected Eric to be here. Uh, he was uh, out uh, doing uh, marketing and, and uh, for the show last week, and I got the text, not even a call, the text uh, late yesterday afternoon that uh, he's sick. He has no voice. Apparently it had Friday. I don't know many details about it because I was getting ready to go to sleep, and so I didn't want to get into a long discussion and, uh, but, um, uh, he, uh, is under the weather. So, uh, was telling me that, uh, he's got, he has no voice at all, but if he tries to talk, there's immense pain. So we hope he is, uh, we hope he's okay and uh, joins us very, very soon. So it's, uh, you and me and a ton of things to talk about. I was chuckling before I went on the air today. Uh, just looking at a couple of articles, uh, one in the Washington Examiner, uh, Byron York, <laughs> about, and I was thinking about this the other day, and, and he just happened to write what I was thinking uh, the other day. I'm sure a lot of people were thinking about it, but he was talking about the indictment secrecy. Uh, the, the headline is, Indictment Secrecy Repeats Pattern of Past Efforts Targeting Trump. Because goes on to talk about every time they go after Trump, you never get the information up front. All of it is rumor and leaks, and he goes through. He goes through everything. He goes through uh, the uh, classified documents case. What first came out on those that ended up, you know, not being true. But then again, we still don't know what's true or not true on uh, on that. The Mueller report and talks about the the uh, uh, Mueller report uh, came out, sent it to the Justice Department. The problem was the report cannot be quickly released to the public because the special counsel had not made the redactions necessary uh, for the report. The work would take weeks. Speculation ran wild. What was in the report? The first impeachment, same thing happened. 
the dossier. You think about it. Russia collusion went on really for, seriously, we really didn't get an idea of what was what was going on there that it basically Trump was set up by Hillary Clinton really until, I mean, the, 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 the final uh, T was crossed and lowercase J dotted <laughs> uh, just was about six months ago when Hillary was fined $113,000. The campaign was fined uh, for their uh, you know campaign election violation. And that's when we, that's when that came to a conclusion that we knew all the facts in that case. But we know in the dossier, everything was wrong there. Everything in the dossier for, for three years that we went through that. Mueller report, everything, everything was bogus about Trump colluding with the Russians. We all know that it was a setup by the Hillary campaign. He was set up by the Hillary campaign. And we all know that now. It isn't as widespread. I will still meet people and explain it to them, and they'll look at me and they'll go, I don't hear that anywhere. Why are you making that up? It's like I'm not making anything up. (laughs) But everything follows the same pattern. Now, I will say in this case, the pattern of the leaks and everything that we're getting uh, and what we know the parameters are in this case with the leaks Shows a weak case. And the other art, the other article I was laughing at was Dan McLaughlin in National Review talking about the New York Times because you've heard that over the last couple of days. Well, all the Republicans are commenting on something. We don't know what the indictment's about. We don't know what the indictment. He hasn't released the indictment. Why is everybody jumping to the conclusion? And he writes that the New York Times said that. Because... <laughs> Uh, uh, predict, predictably uh, echoing one of the emerging lines of attack on the Republicans denouncing the indictment of Donald Trump was the New York Times today and an article written that complains that Republicans and Joe Manchin should say nothing because we have not yet read the indictment and then goes on to talk about all the articles that have been written by the New York Times laying out what they believe the indictment is about, which is exactly what Republicans are talking about. And... Republicans and conservatives are doing the exact same thing that we have done here on the show. From what we know, from the leaks and the information about the parameters of what he could be working with here, and looking at the witnesses, doing what everybody is doing, including the liberal media, we have simply stated that this, if it's based on that information... It's bogus, and we have clearly said if there's something else out there, well, when the indictment comes out, when the charges come out on Tuesday, we will examine those charges point by point. And so that when, when that started coming out over the weekend, I went, whoa. Because more leaks tend to lead you in the same direction. By the way, where's Durham? And I say that because we never get any Durham leaks, do we? Where's Durham? There's no Durham leaks. Hmm. Leaks always seem to be one-sided, don't they? Uh, but these these leaks and what we know are actually not beneficial to Bragg. And we have asked the question: Is he trying to set up Republicans in the other in you know and Trump 
in the other way that that this isn't the direction that he's going. Well, that's hard to say because we know the witnesses. We know Costello. We know, and this is why we know the other information about where the parameters probably are, is because the witnesses are allowed to talk and the witnesses are talking. And, yeah, because, you know, Stormy Daniels is out there talking. You've got Bob Costello out there talking. Cohen's everywhere. Are they, uh, did MSNBC resurrect? Oh, no, I'm sorry, it was Michael Avenetti. Okay. I thought maybe they might jump on Cohen for president now. Okay. No. That's not. (laughs) So I'm just chuckling about those. Uh, uh, two articles. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, this was on Fox Business over the weekend, and uh, this was uh, former Attorney General Bill Barr on, again, everything that we have read, if those are the parameters and those are the charges that are going to be filed. And again, he qualified it. Uh, here's what he said, if that's all they have. Based on the news reports, if they're accurate, uh, this is an abomination. It's the epitome of the abuse of prosecutorial power uh, to bring a case that would not be brought against anyone else. Uh, They are going after the man, not a crime. Mm. And the legal theory, uh, frankly, is pathetically weak. And we'll get to that more in details of of, uh, that discussion uh, a little bit later on uh, in the, the show. we got tons of things to talk about, including... There's a, here's a headline. Gavin Newsom announces campaign to promote his liberal agenda in red states across the U.S. The next question is, ooh, ooh, is he planning on running now? <laughs> is Biden not going to run? We will uh, get to that. Uh, guns and schools have some great... We got audio, like, again, so much audio, so much is uh, is uh, is going on. When Eric is back, I will have to thank him and say, you know, you took off. And we know, you know, stuff you had to do, and then you got sick. And I understand that. But I really appreciate it all happening when we have probably one of the busiest news weeks in a long, 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 long time. So I'll have to thank him for that. Uh, but we've got uh, uh, tons of, uh, of of audio cuts out there. Oh, I, a couple of questions here, because the, uh, the the and we'll get into more in depth uh, during the show on this. In fact, probably here in just a little bit. Uh, the attorneys, well, and we'll hear from one of Trump's attorneys too, uh, saying they believe a gag order is coming, and that's really interesting from a constitutional point of view. Because if a gag order is coming, Trump is running on the uh, corruption and weaponization of government, which he views as a part of. That means he won't be able to talk about the case for, I mean, who? it may not come to trial for a year. And so we'll get into some of the legal and constitutional issues there. But when I heard about the gag order, the one thing that I thought about was, and I think, I don't know who, I don't know if it was John Bolton who brought it up or whether it was Bill Barr. But I, but I thought about it the other day when I said, when, when, when they, I first heard about the possible gag order and I went, hmm, I know this is way down the line. 
like a year from now probably. But if you were Trump's defense lawyers, would you allow him to take the stand? (laughs) That's a good question. If you were Trump's defense attorney, would you would you advise him not you 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 allow is the wrong word because if he wishes to testify he can testify but if you were if you were Trump's attorneys would you advise him to testify and that's very it's a really unfair question because we don't know what anything is going to look like a year from now or they're going to go to try to get all the charges dismissed we may never get to that point but that was just an interesting dialogue and a little bit of a discussion that I had with some of my uh, group text people uh, yesterday. So we got a great show ahead. If you want to get in, love to hear from you. 866-90-RED-EYE. Cold weather takes a toll on trucks. As warmer weather rolls in, it's time to assess the impact winter has had on your vehicle before you find yourself stranded roadside this spring. If you're experiencing sluggish cranking, Start your spring maintenance routine by having your electrical system tested by a professional technician. Your batteries, alternator, and starter have been working overtime to keep up with cold starts and thick oil during winter. Continuing to crank a vehicle with low voltage will lead to more damage and downtime later on. Big rigs are big investments. Take care of yours now to help avoid downtime later and keep rolling through to next winter. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. It's Friday Radio. He is Eric Harley. He is off. He's under the weather. Keep him in your thoughts because I know it's killing him having no voice at all. None. I have no voice. So, um, And for us, 
Think about it. You're a talk show host. You want to talk, and you can't, not only can you not talk, but when you try to talk, it's very painful. I mean, there couldn't be there could not be a worse affliction for a talk show host. So uh, we hope he's back on his feet and uh, and in here because this is just. I mean, there's so much news going on, and and I'm so used to him being in here and talking with me about it. So uh, I miss him, and I hope he's back real soon. Uh, this is the Associated Press article that came out Friday, which really, again, is another leak that we see here. Former President Donald Trump is facing multiple charges for falsifying business records, including at least one felony offense in the indictment handed down by a Manhattan grand jury. Two people familiar with the matter told the Associated Press on Friday. So that is the that is what sent everybody. Okay, this is the this leak here is now verifying from the Associated Press. This leak is verifying everything that we had thought. And that's why uh, everyone was on that narrative. So the New York Times coming out and stating, and and that seemed to be the narrative over the weekend from Democrats. Republicans are talking about it. We don't even know what the indictment is. Yet all the liberal media have been reporting exactly what they're now criticizing. Uh, the you know Republicans, conservatives, and anybody else out there. That you shouldn't be discussing it because uh, the uh, actual charges are not known at this time. And it's like, well, yeah, but we've qualified it. So since this is what uh, three of the witnesses to the grand jury have publicly stated, since this is what the leaks are insinuating, and knowing the case of Stormy Daniels and what the possible charges are, it's cool to it's absolutely fine to talk about it and speculate that if those are the actual charges, whether they are strong charges or not. And then to speculate and say, all right, if it's not that, what else could it be? What else could it be? What would be a strong felony in this particular case, which is something that we don't know about at all? And the one question you have to ask is, when you look at the narrative on all these other issues of Trump, that all, remember, Russia collusion, he's committed treason, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a spy, uh, him and, him and, uh, uh, Putin are, you know, really, 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 really tight, and the president, uh, is working against you. The United States of America. He's a traitor. Remember those headlines? All set up by the Hillary campaign. All of all of it was a setup. And the only thing that happened there is uh, Hillary's campaign got hit for a hundred thirteen thousand dollar fine for all the campaign money that they used for the setup of Donald Trump. They did not report correctly. Yet it was campaign dollars, and that's the other thing. When you look at it, no matter what Trump did in here, it would be a campaign violation. Because if Trump used campaign money, if Trump used campaign money, then and had, you know, this is campaign money. It's not my own personal money. Well, then that would be a campaign violation, campaign finance violation. He didn't use campaign money. He used his own money. And I saw a great uh, legal analogy on this. That. If Trump goes and buys a new suit and he campaigns in that suit, 
Now, he always wears suits. Is that a, if, if he buys it with his own personal money, the suit, is that a campaign violation? Because that suit can be used in campaign purposes. Can he only wear that particular suit when he does personal appearances? The whole point is there's nothing wrong with buying a suit with your own personal money, even if that suit, part of the reason I want to look good while I'm on the campaign trail. Yeah, but I also bought it because I always wear suits in my business dealings, so I don't change suits based on you know the, the fact of how people may look at it. I buy a suit. There's nothing illegal with paying hush money. There's nothing illegal... He claims he didn't have a fair. They claim he did. Stormy Daniels claimed he had an affair with her before she claimed that he did not have an affair with her before she claimed he had an affair with her. <laughs> but paying hush money is not illegal. And so, you know, those are just some of the huge questions. And on the the the, the possibility of a... Um, of a gag order. We'll get to this following the the bottom of the hour because I think that's really interesting if the judge comes in tomorrow and says, you can't talk about this at all. Nobody can talk about it. Anybody involved in it cannot talk about it publicly. And you say, okay, why is a gag order there? Well, because we want a fair trial. Well, for whom? A fair trial is guaranteed for the defendant, not the state. So that, you saw that narrative, but the judge could say it's not about the fair trial. I don't, I don't want to taint the jury pool. That's probably the explanation he will give if there is a gag order. 866-90-RED-EYE. hours a night and still not enough listen to our podcast available on the app and on our website red i radio show.com and he is eric carlin i'm gary mcnamara 86690 red eye eric uh, off this morning he's under the weather no voice no voice at all so he's useless to me <laughs> no, we just hope he's okay um I want to play this uh, audio cut. This uh, was on a News Nation, and uh, this is uh, Jim Trusty, a Trump attorney in the classified documents case, uh, reacting uh, to the uh, the Bragg case in uh, New York. Well, no, I mean the surprise, which which is uh, a sad surprise, is that we're having leaked indictments. Uh, making their way out to the public. You know, again, with Donald Trump, there's just no rule of law. This is just a small example of it that begins with Alvin Bragg's 
persecution, his stated aim of indicting him. But on the breakdown of the indictment, look, we'll have to look at it carefully, but everything that's come out from all of these leaks and from what we've known about the government's theory is incredibly frail. As you said, this is weak stuff. And I'd add a layer to it, Jesse. It's not just that it's, it's weak to show that, that felonious intent, that connection, or somehow connecting misdemeanors to a federal violation will allow them to thwart the statute of limitations, another issue. There's another issue, a fundamental problem with what we expect to see with this indictment, which is even for those misdemeanor counts, you have to show an intent to defraud. And that's very precisely defined under New York case law. There are plenty of liberal-leaning lawyers who are looking at that and saying, hey, there's a problem. So I, I think what you can expect is a very robust motions practice coming soon. So, I And we'll get to uh, uh, more of that interview uh, here in a little bit, but that's something that was brought up last week, and it was something that Eric and I had talked about early on when this all came out. Where is the intent to commit fraud? For example, uh, and and we were on this from the very, very beginning because we, we were questioning it because there was, when when it first came out, we're like, what are they, what are they talking about, fraud? Um, you know, so you, you pay somebody cause this is a business fraud because you're writing a check to your lawyer, which is business that is being done between you and your lawyer. All right. You're not trying to deduct that on your taxes. So it's not tax fraud. You're not committing a fraud that costs anybody any money or anything you're not taking anything right you're not committing a a fraud to take something from somebody which is what fraud's about so there has to be an intent to defraud but what they're saying is that if you pay someone and write it in your business ledger as something different even if you don't use that to defraud the person you're writing the check to, you're not using it to defraud the IRS. You're not using it to def to defraud the state tax system. Well, if there's no intent to commit fraud, uh, where is the where's the crime? And that was something that we asked early on, and we went, there's not really a lot of talk about that. And the other thing that I, I just wondered over the weekend, that, you know, they talked about whether there's, you know, 30 or 34 counts of the misdemeanor. I'm like, okay, so so you keep the, the misdemeanor alive? The misdemeanor stays alive because the statute of limitations on the business fraud misdemeanor they're trying to get to a felony, which would be the, I, I forgot, was uh, a third-degree felony, uh, because you committed that fraud in order to break another law, which they claim is the federal campaign finance law, which, again, the Department of Justice and the FEC didn't see it that way. They saw no campaign violation. They weren't willing to charge it, and the FEC wasn't willing to fine him for an illegal can, uh, you know, campaign contribution. Because it was his own personal money. And it's just, no, it, that's... With Hillary, it was clear it was a campaign violation. It was campaign money. But, so they say one felony charge. Well, that would be the, 
that would be the third degree felony. Are the rest of the charges all misdemeanors? Which would be, they believe, every time he sent him a check, that was another attempt to defraud. And again, I'm it's speculation on my part because we don't know. But we will know, and it'll be interesting to tear it apart. If this is all they have in the case, wow. That's just, that's amazing. But that's one of the things that I wasn't sure of was, all right, one felony charge, at least one felony charge, well, the rest would have to be misdemeanors. What specifically are they? And why couldn't you make it? I guess my point would be if every check was written to defraud and avoid the federal elections campaign law, why isn't it 34 felonies? That would be the legal question that I would have. I'm not saying that it's a strong, it would be a strong case. I'm just wondering if you're, if you want, if the whole point of this is a political prosecution, because that's the one thing that Andrew McCarthy wrote about yesterday or the day before, whatever it was sometime this weekend. We wrote, well, you throw as many things as you can because if they find him guilty on one misdemeanor charge, then politically you win. You say, see, he's a criminal, even if it's a misdemeanor. And that's the goal of this is political. It's really never been about the criminal justice system. This is all political. Let's get to a little bit more of this uh, interview with the Trump attorney. This was on uh, News Nation on Dan Abrams Live. I, I hear you, and I've talked about the weaknesses in the case, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a motion to dismiss. My question to you is, are we not looking at everything that could be in there? I mean, a lot of us have been talking about the hush money payments. Do you think there's something else in there that we're not anticipating that might make up over these over 30 charges? No, I think it's more likely that they're just overplaying each incident. In other words, try, trying to triplicate charges for every sort of payment. Remember, non-disclosure agreements and hush money payments are completely lawful. I mean, we've got a whole congressional slush fund set aside to deal with sexual harassment claims. So this is pretty, uh, pretty innocuous stuff, pretty tame stuff, not criminal. And so, again, we'll wait and see. You never know. Maybe there's something we well, didn't anticipate in I, terms of I, where the I grand jury is going. Not, but, I know you say it's not criminal, but but falsifying business records technically under the law is a misdemeanor. If it's used to cover up another crime, it is a felony. You talk about this, and we've talked about this before, this novel legal theory that's kind of on shaky ground. Walk our viewers real quick, if you can, why it's so shaky. And you mentioned the statute of limitations, which I think can also be an issue. Just explain why why we think this might be a problem. Sure. Well, the statute of limitations part is easy. Misdemeanors are done years ago. Two-year statute of limitations, if I recall correctly. They have to prove a felony by bootstrapping this kind of higher intent to one of the misdemeanors to even be in the door for a potential statute of limitations, uh, you know, non-violative statute of limitations situation. That What I'm getting at is that even without the aggravated intent that would cause anything to be considered a felony, you have to have an intent to defraud, which means literally, under New York case law, if I enter something falsely in a business record, I have to be doing it because I am about to obtain or trying to obtain money or something of property from somebody else. If you internally 
write things in a in a vanilla way or even a deceitful or misleading way in your own records that by itself is not a misdemeanor and that's right that's what's being glossed over and again i think if if they don't have something much more creative to play with and it's already on the the high end of legal gymnastics you'll see a motion to dismiss that should be treated okay. uh, you know very expeditiously well, one, thank you there you go uh we'll get to uh uh more of that uh here in uh, in a little bit and also uh hear from uh from former Attorney General Bill Barr, and we'll hear from uh, from uh, Dershowitz and a whole bunch of other stuff too. Oh, uh, gun control in schools got a great audio cut on that. It's something that relates to exactly what we said uh, uh, last week, and it was you know the left screaming, "We need to ban assault weapons. We need to ban guns." And we said, "Look, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And even if it was going to happen, it's not going to happen for years." You're not, and if you ban assault weapons, you're still going to have a ton of other rifles and a ton of other, uh, you know, ton of other gun, you know, guns and handguns that are out there. So you're not going to stop it. But if you wish to stop it, put an armed police officer in every school. Dan Crenshaw said the other day, put two in every school. And he said, you want to stop it? That's what you do. Now you can still work for your gun control, but if you wish to stop it now, that's what you do. And we stated that last week. And and in in the past, we've stated it many times, too. And there is no answer for it except what we got uh, over the last couple of years from the left, which was, no, police officers scare kids. Police officers are evil. We don't want that imagery. It's like, fine, then you really don't wish to solve the problem. You wish to, again, as we have stated, you wish to scream for the impossible because if you scream for the impossible, what you want right now, and it's not possible to get that right now, then for some reason on the left, some perverted reason on the left, that's viewed as a higher morality that raises up through the ranks of virtue signaling. I care because I am I am trying to reach for the impossible. And therefore, if my if my goal is not actually to come up with reasonable solutions, but if I if I want to reach for things that cannot happen, then I am more moral than you. I am better than you. Because we see it across the board. We see it everywhere. We see it on energy. We see it on climate change. We see it on reparations. There's a pattern throughout it all. We wish to do something that isn't possible to do right now. We won't look for a common sense solution right now. No, we can't do that. We'll reach for the impossible and then claim we're better than you. 86690 Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has uh, the morning off, so it's uh, me and uh, and you. Uh, also on uh, uh, 
speaking about uh, Trump's lawyers, uh, Joe uh, Tacopina, a defense uh, lawyer for uh, Trump, was on CNN also uh, over the uh, the weekend and uh, was asked uh, what the he believes the process will be on Tuesday. It should be like the hundreds of other arraignments I've done in that building over the course of my career, which is you walk in, you see a judge, um, you plead not guilty, uh, you set a schedule, um, and, and you leave. Uh, obviously, this is different. Um, this has never happened before. Uh, I've never had Secret Service involved in an arraignment before at 100 Center Street. So um, the answer to that question, uh, Dan, is I honestly don't know how this is going to go. Hopefully as smoothly as possible, and then we begin the... Uh, the battle to right this wrong because it's a it's a really it's a day that in my opinion the rule of law in the United States has died. And we'll get to more of uh, his conversation uh, also uh, throughout the, uh, the the morning. Interesting, I did see a couple of articles saying that uh, inside the Trump camp they're not happy with uh, Tacopina for some of the things that he has said. For example, when uh, uh, Trump came out the other day and said the judge was uh, was biased and. And, you know, went after the uh, the, the judge, Tacopina came out and said, no, uh, the judge is uh, not biased. It's interesting because you, uh, you know, I'm sure the attorneys, you know, we had talked about this. And again, it's down the road, but it was it was interesting conversation down the road. If you were Trump's defense uh, attorneys, would you let him testify and take the stand in his own case during the trial? You can see here clearly that his lead defense attorney on this particular case did not want him attacking the judge. So will there be a gag order? And that's a great question. And will they fight the gag order? Because the, the biggest thing is here on the, the gag order is, you know, the judge, you know, the judge can say, well, we want a fair trial here. Well, uh, that's up to the that that's up to the uh, the defendant, right? A fair trial is for the defendant. If the defendant believes that he should be able to talk, that both sides should be able to talk, isn't that what what counts? I believe that the judge will say, no, this is about not tainting the jury. But once you have a jury, well, I guess unless they're sequestered, um, you know, you're talking about the jury won't be picked for another year. And so I have a feeling that's how they'll go on that. 86690 Red Eye. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Uniden America Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 86690 Red Eye. I am Gary McNamara. He is Eric Harley. He is under the weather. He has zero voice. And it's painful to talk. That's what he told me. To try to talk. He said he has 
no voice uh, at all. He was doing marketing for the show. He was out of town last week and apparently got sick. He told me on on, uh, on Friday he could start feeling it. So uh, hopefully he gets better soon because I know it's killing him. It's killing him not to be in. It was killing him not to be in last week. But this week with everything going on, oh. So we hope he gets better soon for his own sanity. He has to be like me. He has to be able uh, to uh, to vent. All right. Uh, before we get back to more audio uh, from uh, Trump's uh, attorneys, I just this is just great because this was a narrative that you saw over the weekend, and we had seen because this is a few weeks old now, and we have seen from the very very beginning from the the leaks and from what. Uh, the witnesses have said there's a narrative put together on what legal experts believe uh, that uh, Alvin Bragg, uh, you know, what kind of a case he is coming up for with uh, Trump. So there's been a lot of comment that if that's what the case is, it's weak. And so I started noticing, I think the left got tired of nobody could defend what was being talked about legally, no one. So you started seeing it over the last couple of days. I saw it on social media first, uh, which was uh, just well, all everybody's commenting on it. We we don't know what the we don't know what the indictment is yet. Nobody should comment until we know what the indictment is. When I read this article in National Review, Dan McLaughlin, New York Times, pay no attention to our own reporting. Uh predictably echoing one of the emerging lines of attack on Republicans denouncing the indictment of Donald Trump. The New York Times today has an article that complains that Republicans and Joe Manchin should say nothing because we have not yet read the indictment. And then they go on to the uh, the article uh, or parts of the article that uh, is uh, talking about this. The charges have not yet been revealed as the indictment is under seal and expected to remain sealed until Mr. Trump is arranged, uh, excuse me, arraigned in a Manhattan court, leaving both Mr. Trump and those supporting him commenting on what is not known. And they write here, progressive activist Greg Sargent of the Washington Post joins the fun. Many Republicans are taking the position that any charges against Trump who was denied wrongdoing should be seen as illegitimate, no matter the counts against Trump or the facts that underlie them. Un- underline them, excuse me. Underlie them. Ex- underlie them. Uh, there, we got it out. <laughs> Dan writes here, There are more levels of hypocrisy than one could count here. Democrats and their media cheerleaders have hardly been silent about the investigation or the indictment or about other Trump investigations long before they yielded charges that never arrived. Have we forgotten Russiagate? I guess you can stop right there, right? There were never any charges. (laughs) Have we forgotten Russiagate or Senate Democrats such as Chuck Schumer and Elizabeth Warren arguing against Neil Gorsuch's nomination to the Supreme Court? Simply because Trump was under investigation? Have we forgotten how Democrats poured a public barrage on Kenneth Starr for months before anybody saw the Starr report? But the funniest thing is hearing this from the Times, whose saturation coverage of the investigation 
has been a major source of the information that just about everyone in politics and the political press has used to form their opinions. And then they go through all the different articles written uh, by uh, the uh, the New York Times, but I just thought it was hilarious because everybody's been on this particular narrative, and I know that uh, whenever I have heard any conservative or any Republican talking about it, maybe there's a case where it didn't happen. But in most cases, they qualify and say, if this is what Bragg is going after, based on what the witnesses have said, based on the investigations before of of Trump, based on what we know about Michael Cohen and Stormy Daniels and Trump, and then again on Bob Costello, on Cohen himself, talking about what the trial's about and what's going on, and Stormy Daniels herself. So, yeah, you're looking and go, okay, where's it going here? The Associated Press report, the leak on uh, Friday, also seems to verify that that's where Bragg is going. And and so just find it humorous. <laughs> I started laughing when I, and I didn't see that article first. I saw it on social media. Well, you know, the indictment isn't even out yet. How come you're talking about it? Because everybody is, whether you're on the left or right, has gone over, you know, what they believe the charges might be. And there's there's some speculation. Yeah. Based on what we know. Odds are, you know, for example, you look at the parameters. Odds are Bragg is not going to charge Trump with treason. (laughs) He may say he committed treason, but they will not charge him. Uh, with it so you know that you know that things and and here's the thing too because i started hearing this after the associated press report that said you know one felony charge and you know many the and many other charges which would mean misdemeanor charges which would sort of fit in with the you know the whole thing with the business fraud and we've had some questions on that also but they'll all be answered tomorrow. And then we'll go point by point there. I want to get back to the CNN interview uh, with Trump's uh, attorney, uh, Joe Tacopina, who was on with Dana Bash. And uh, let's just continue because we had played part of it uh, last hour. Here's more on uh, w- what the defense may be. Are you going to move to dismiss the case right off the bat in the arraignment? And if so, on what grounds? No, not we're not doing anything at the arraignment because that would be showmanship and nothing more because we haven't even seen the indictment yet. Um, you know, we will take the indictment. We will dissect it. Um, the team will look at every every um, potential issue that we, we will be able to challenge, and we will challenge. And, of course, I very much anticipate a motion to dismiss coming because there's no law that fits this. And you have a situation where, you know, the federal government, the Department of Justice turned this matter down. Um, The FEC, which governs uh, federal election uh, laws, said there's no violation here. Yet somehow a state prosecutor has taken a a misdemeanor and tried cobbled together to make it a felony by alleging a violation of federal federal, uh, campaign violations well, and the fec said it doesn't exist right L- let me ask you about that because you mentioned it You're, you've been talking a lot about 
the FEC and federal um, investigations and, and allegations, investigations, I, I should say, that didn't end up in an indictment on the federal level. But we haven't seen the specifics, and we should say that over and over again. This is still under seal, this indictment. But because it is um, on a local level, on a state level, presumably this will be focused on those issues where he allegedly broke the law there, whether it becomes an issue of uh, trying to defraud a business or, yeah. s- or something along those lines. Not necessarily yeah. at the FEC and things that you're discussing. No, no. No, no. No, it can't, it can't be. This, this was a federal presidential election. The allegation here in some Twilight Zone sort of scenario is that he settled the civil case six years earlier, something that happens, by the way, all the time. A civil case was settled with confidentiality agreements between a lawyer that was representing him and a lawyer representing the Stormy Daniels. They, Trump didn't even sign that settlement agreement, so they signed it. Um, the lawyer financed it, subsequently gave him a host of invoices for legal services over the course of a year. Um, they were recorded. But understand, here's the key distinction, Dana. They were recorded in their entries. They were never filed anywhere. They were never filed with the IRS. They never took a tax deduction, and they were never filed with the FEC because they weren't required to. This was a personal expenditure, not a campaign expenditure. Had it been a campaign expenditure, he would have used campaign funds. And then, of course, we'd be talking about here today the outrage that Donald Trump used campaign funds for a personal expenditure. They'd be baying for his scalp. It's a completely upside-down world. So he's damned if he didn't, damned if he didn't. So those are misdemeanors, by the way, the, the record entries, which don't exist. They're not false entries, but assuming they were, they're misdemeanors way beyond the statute of limitations. So they had to cobble them together to try and get a felony. I'm going to speak to Michael Cohen's attorney next. He says that there is actual evidence that your client, the former president, participa- participated in falsifying business records. Have you seen any such evidence? I know there's no such evidence. I mean, look, Michael Cohen's lawyer is spitting Michael Cohen's side. Michael Cohen is a pathological convicted liar, perjuries like the banks, the IRS, Congress. Now he's saying he lied to the FEC when he sent that letter saying there was no campaign violation. I heard him on CNN the other day saying that when he pled guilty under oath, when he became a new man, um, he really wasn't guilty. He was forced to plead guilty. So that's perjury, if that's now true. Um, he, he's someone who's constitutionally incapable of telling the same story the same way twice. So I'm not really worried about what Michael Cohen is saying on this. The records and the facts will speak for themselves. So there you go. I mean, I think he, he lined it, it out and covered everything that we had uh, covered. Uh, the one thing on the, um, the, the, I guess the only thing that he didn't mention in in that particular portion of the interview is the fact of who was defrauded because she had said that, you know, uh, the accusation is he defrauded a business. No, it is. He committed business fraud uh, because when she said he defrauded a business, it says if he ripped off a business by, you know, by committing fraud, that he costs somebody money, that you commit fraud in order to steal. You know, that's uh, a case that, uh, or that's a uh, a legal point that uh, his uh, other attorney already brought up. Uh, I know that uh, we'll have the interview from uh, from former Attorney General Bill Barr, who said the same thing, that according to New York law, there has to be intent to defraud, who did he defraud? 
who got ripped off monetarily speaking in this particular case. If you put it in your own personal ledger, as Tacopina said, you're not doing it to the IRS. You're not doing it for any other. You're not doing it to defraud anyone, either Stormy Daniels or the IRS or the, the your state taxes. And therefore, if there's no intent to defraud, that the misdemeanor is bogus to begin with. That's the thing about this case, if these are the parameters, unless, like I said, there may be something on McDougal, because he was also, you know, looking at McDougal. There may be something with McDougal that is completely outside of the Stormy Daniels case. But looking at the Stormy Daniels case from what we know, I don't see any strong points in the prosecution. I may change my mind tomorrow when I see with you know what the charges are and what the allegations are, and if they present any type of evidence besides the allegation. But as for right now, I have no idea where they're going. 866-90-RED-EYE. Most owner-operators leased to larger carriers are paid on a per-mile basis or a percentage of revenue per load. The per-mile basis is most prevalent among larger fleets. Percentage at smaller. Pay per mile tends to dominate discussions about pay just because it's easier to measure. And pay per mile often is wrongly used as the deciding factor in leasing to a carrier. While pay per mile can be a vital factor, it's not a cure for every ill. Nor does it mean a big settlement check is coming an owner-operator's way. Why? Because pay per mile always must be considered in balance with gross revenue as well as total costs. Gross revenue can include flat mileage pay, mileage pay that varies by length of haul, percentage revenue pay, and more. Most importantly, though, for every revenue dollar generated, only part of that dollar is profit. But for every extra dollar of cost saved, the entire dollar contributes to profit. Knowing and understanding your cost to operate is fundamental to understanding the true value of any pay package. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the -the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. I am Gary McNamara. Eric uh, is under the weather today, has no voice. Yeah, I expected him back today. And he's just uh, not uh, not doing good at all. Coming up following the bottom of the hour, we'll hear what uh, former Attorney General Bill Barr had to say uh, about the uh, Trump uh, prosecution here. Also, uh, DeSantis. Oh, this was really interesting over the weekend. 
you know that when remember when DeSantis first commented on uh, on uh, on Trump, and uh, you know he took a shot at him, and then the uh, then it started building within the Trump camp that uh, you know DeSantis should do everything he could not to extradite Donald Trump back to New York. Well, then Trump said he was going to go no matter what. He was going to go. I believe this is a correct timeline. Trump said he was going to go. And then DeSantis said, um, you know, that he would not go along twice. I think he said he would not go along uh, with the uh, the uh, the New York extradition uh, if it got to that particular point. And then the DeSantis people started attacking Trump, saying, look, he's willing not to do this. Why are you voluntarily going? And that created a little zoo on social media over the uh, the, the weekend. So if, if DeSantis is willing to sacrifice his reputation and not allow extradition, why are you going voluntarily? So that's the back and forth between the, the campaigns. Uh, the legal team representing Trump reportedly expects that the Manhattan judge will put a gag order on him as the case awaits trial, a source close to the legal team told the Daily Mail UK that the judge will take an unprecedented step to silence Trump. The gag order could potentially undercut his ability to campaign on the issue of legal corruption during the primary. The Trump, the quote, the Trump legal team now thinks that the Manhattan judge will take the unprecedented step of silencing the presidential frontrunner with an unconstitutional gag order tomorrow. The source said the Trump legal team is considering adding a First Amendment lawyer to the effort to combat this, and we will fight it all the way. Trump campaign spokesperson Stephen Chung, in a response to the news about a possible gag order, told Breitbart News that the former president stands for freedom of speech, and that Americans should be highly concerned about any efforts to stifle free speech. President Trump, quote, stands for transparency in our American Constitution, and any attempt to prevent him, the leading candidate for president, from exercising his First Amendment right is a tyrannical third-world country move, which further proves that there is nothing here more than a political witch hunt utilizing a weaponized justice system. All Americans should be concerned about their rights being violated and any attempt to obstruct President Trump's right to use his voice in order to speak truth to power should never be tolerated. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. 
And I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has the morning off because he doesn't have a voice. Apparently, he was talking so much last week marketing the show that he lost his voice completely. And it's painful for him to talk. So we wish him the best. And I know he's suffering in two ways. It hurts to talk, and he cannot be here this, well, so far. I mean, he can't be here today. Hopefully, he gets better soon. I I don't know what the timeline is on it. I don't think he does yet uh, either, but I hope he gets back ASAP because I know it's killing him not to be able to talk about all of this. 866-90-RED-EYE. Well, uh, over the weekend, uh, Bill Barr was on Fox Business News, and he discussed the legal specifics of the Bragg case against Trump from what is known from media reports, sources, and witnesses from the grand jury trial. Well, according to news reports, the, 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 the threshold crime is false business records, uh, apparently reporting payments that were made to reimburse Michael Cohen, who had paid off uh, Stormy Daniels, and the characterization of those payments as legal payments. And the claim is that that's false and therefore violated a misdemeanor statute uh, in the first instance against false documents. I actually don't think that's a valid claim in this case because the statute actually requires uh, that it be done with the intent to defraud. Mm. So if you have false business records, you know, and you're committing insurance fraud or some other kind of fraud where some value is taken from somebody else and you falsely get uh, value in your own name, uh, then the false records would be a misdemeanor. Uh, but I don't understand the basis for a fraud claim here. But then they take this misdemeanor, which also has a problem with the statute of limitations, and they try to shoehorn it into a, into a felony by claiming that the reason the document was falsified, the documents were falsified, was to cover up another crime. In this case, they're assuming that the payments were a campaign finance uh, violation because they were effectively a contribution to the Trump campaign. I can tell you that's not the law. I don't think that's how the Justice Department would view it. It wasn't brought by the Justice Department during uh, the Trump administration, but even after the Trump administration left, there was no inhibition on the Department of Justice to bring this federal claim if they thought it was valid, and it was never brought. So, uh, Aside from that, uh, I think it's quite clear under the law that uh, payment, I'm going to call it hush money, I don't like mm-hmm. that term, but payments of hush monies to keep you know, affairs or other things like that uh, secret uh, are not inherently unlawful. The question under the statute is, was it a campaign contribution? I think the law is quite clear it is not. And in fact, uh, I think uh, Merrick Garland, when he was a, D- a D.C. Circuit judge, wrote an opinion along these lines relating to Senator Craig, Larry Craig. But put that aside, under the statute it would be a personal payment, a payment of a personal expense, and that is not a violation of the statute if it's the kind of payment that would have been made even apart from the campaign. And I think there's a compelling argument here that when you're dealing with a private company that's named after its founder, it's an eponymous company, Mm. Trump, uh, of course, uh, there would there would be payment to uh, protect the reputation 
uh, of, of the owner of the corporation. So I think it's a weak case altogether. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's going to accomplish what I think its political purpose, which is to uh, inject chaos into the Republican process. I actually think probably the governing intent here is to help Trump and have all the news focused on this kind of stuff for the next couple of years uh, and, uh, you know, turn the Republican primary into a circus. Uh, and, again, we've, we've talked about that. I believe that's the intent, too. And I believe through many Democrats, they believe it will help Trump in the, in the uh, primary and it will ensure that he loses in the general election if he gets the uh, if he wins the uh, nomination. That's what you know. I believe you know. It's like we said back in April of twenty 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 that the reason Biden was hiding is because people would say they're, they'd be screwed. Oh, Biden's hiding. He's afraid to come out. And we said no because there were articles written about it, sourced articles that this is what the campaign wishes to do. We said no. They're doing this specifically. They believe. That if Biden stays in the basement, Trump will cut his own throat. And, you know, and I, this is what they think now. What they think now is that, uh, you know, Trump will, uh, this will be the only issue out there. Uh, the primary season will be based on all the questions about what every candidate thinks about Trump. And that's what they're hoping. Now... The interesting thing is, once we get past Tuesday, once we get past tomorrow, I mean, that's a speculation out. Once we get past, is that what will happen? Will the only talk for the next year be about Trump? I don't think so. Because once, you know, once uh, he is charged, once the arraignment is there, yeah, you'll see, you'll see uh, the news items out there about what the attorneys are protesting but this won't go to trial for a year there's tons of other news that that will be out there so will now i will say this this is why the rnc has to be very careful about having any primary debates on cnn or msnbc because you want general questions to be asked and if it's msnbc or cnn or abc or nbc or cbs everything how many questions will be on on Trump and not the actual issues? Now, the interesting thing is this if they if they put a gag order on it, they put a gag order on Trump. He can simply say, I can't talk about this. I can't talk about it. And I can see the rest of the candidates saying, well, can't talk about it because there's a gag order. And we don't uh, you know, we don't want to. Uh, we're we're. Uh, you know, we are, you know, we are, in, we are, uh, well, it's not whether we're in agreement with it, but we will abide by the gag order. We're not going to talk about it since Trump can't talk about it. We believe it would be unfair as a uh, campaign issue for us to say something that Trump cannot respond to. So you may be able to deflect uh, that, but I just think, and we talked about this on Friday. You know, will the Republicans, you know, will they, you know, will they have hearings by the time we get to this fall? Will there be hearings this fall on Hunter Biden and on influence peddling? What will we learn at that time? I think that, again, all the news is this. 
and you still see a lot of, you know, you, there's still a lot of news on the uh, liberal transgender activist movement in uh, in Nashville, school shootings, gun control. It's still out there. This is a top thing. But once he's charged, then it's next. And once, you know, by the end of the week, we everyone analyzes what the charges are. Well, then you're in a holding pattern. There will be legal proceedings, but this may not go to trial till next spring. So it will be interesting. Let's see hear a little bit more of this interview, uh, uh, Bill Barr with uh, Larry Kudlow on Fox Business over the weekend. I mean, is there any doubt? Maybe I'm overstating it in my in my opening. Is there any doubt that the basic thought here, uh, leftist Democrats do not want Trump back in the White House, period, full stop. Is there any doubt about that? I mean, and they'll do anything it takes, legal, illegal, you name it, they'll do it. That is their ultimate goal. There's no policy goal here. There's no help in America. There's no wealth and prosperity and happiness. There's no bringing people up from uh, low incomes to high incomes. It's to stop Donald Trump. I think there's some Democrats who would like to drive him from the political scene completely because uh, of Trump derangement syndrome, and they consider him very dangerous and so forth. But I actually think that the most Democrats uh, who get involved in this kind of thing, they actually want to run against Trump because they think, whether they're right or wrong, people Mm -hmm. can debate, but they think they can beat him. And uh, so they are actually trying to help him by... Uh, generating the support of his base, uh, and they feel that that will generate their own turner, turnout. And so they're, they're essentially, I think, playing for a repeat of uh, the 2020 election. I mean, I think the Democratic Party can't figure it out. Half the Democrats think Trump is the easiest guy to beat in the general election. The other half fears so much that he might win the White House. I don't think they can quite figure it out. You can't have it both ways. But you, you and I can let them decide that. We don't have to decide right. that, at least not this evening. So, Bill Barr, where does this lead? Now we're prosecuting a former president on very dubious grounds, really small beer, uh, whatever the technicalities are. Where does this lead? Where does this take this country? Well, you know, to me, this is this is a fateful step. You know, I've, of, I've often complained about the use of the criminal justice process in the political realm. But this is, to me, there's no better, this is the epitome of the abuse of the prosecutorial power to preempt political decisions and sow discord in the political process. And I think it's going, you know, we're going to rue the day we cross this Rubicon. There'll be more and more of this. And, uh, you know, it just doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. You know, Talking about the election, we'll have the the story coming up. You see, there's a headline. Gavin Newsom announces campaign to promote his liberal agenda in red states across the U.S. And then the question is, is he running? We'll get into the specifics of of uh, that story. And we ton of other things we want to cover, plus more analysis uh, on what's going to happen uh, tomorrow and where this uh, leads us. I think one of the things, I mean, we're I'm, I'm personally looking forward to, to seeing what the charges are so we can analyze it to see if it's any more than what we've been told. That's the thing. If it's, if there's nothing new in this, because one of the things we've done on the show is I've explained it. Eric's explained it, you know, that, you know, if this is what it is, why it's such a weak case and everybody that we've had today, the Trump attorneys, 
uh, other analysts, Dershowitz, Turley, Democrats that view what's happening as an abomination, Bill Barr, everybody has the same is as the same legal narrative of why this is such a poor case. We know that the public believes that this is a you know a political prosecution. That's what they believed a couple of weeks ago. And you know the Democrats can't even state that this is a great case. If this is all there is, really wonder what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Because then the public's going to know this is a political prosecution without doubt if the charges come out and there's nothing more there than what we know right now. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has uh, the morning off. He's under the weather. Hopefully he's back tomorrow. I want to play uh, some audio here from Alan Dershowitz, who was on uh, with uh, on Chris Cuomo's show on News Nation the other day, holding up his book that's called Get Trump and talking about the fact that I didn't come up with the title of the book. My book does not have an original title. It comes from the campaign promise of Letitia James and Bragg and no politician should ever run on a campaign of getting anybody, even the Bible says, don't recognize faces when you prosecute. You never, never target people, even if they give you enough to then prosecute them on. That doesn't mean he's above the law. That means equal application of the law, not necessarily in theory, but in practice. If people who sign NDAs and then put them in the books as legal fees are never prosecuted, you can't just prosecute this guy and say, nobody's above the law. That's equal justice. That's not equal justice. <laughs> just, uh, uh, this is uh, uh, fascinating times that we, uh, we uh, live in. Just so you know, you know we, we, Eric and I talked about this before. This, has been, this is something that's almost has been commonplace in Texas for the left to go after Rick Perry. Uh, you know, they went after uh, they went after him. I mean, this is something that's actually been done in Texas by liberals before. Let's go after our political enemies with bogus uh, 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 charges. So uh, we'll get more from uh, Dershowitz. We'll hear more uh, from uh, DeSantis. Plus, and, you know, when we, we talk about, you know, OK, what's the political goal of this? You know, we talk about the fact that democrats believe the only person biden can beat is uh is trump that's what they believe and that's why they are going forward with this because they believe it will help him get the nomination but ensure that he loses a general then this is out here democratic governor gavin newsom announced a national campaign to fight republicans in red states sparking rumors that he is gearing up to run for president Newsom said last Thursday that a new political action committee would focus on promoting his liberal agenda in local and state races across the nation. He should go to Texas and say, do you want to be like Texas or California? He should go to Florida and say, do you wish to be like Florida or California? I think those are the things that he should do.
is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Uniden America Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric is out sick. He doesn't have a voice. No voice. Hurts for him to talk. So, man, we wish him well and hope he's back real soon. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. And some nasty weather over the uh, the, the weekend. Uh, we had um, it didn't get a lot of sleep last night just because anticipating that we were going to get harder, get hit harder than we did where I live, even though many areas got hit uh, pretty hard in uh, North Texas and uh, and Southern Oklahoma. I guess some uh, some uh, pretty big hail in uh, in in places, and then on uh, Friday the uh, wow was uh, watching a lot of the uh, over the weekend the tornadoes. Following, I was watching. Uh, uh, was it Fox Weather? And they were looking at that the one uh, the one tornado that was going across, uh, you know, eastern Arkansas and you know, north through uh, north of Memphis. And that one tornado that they were following, man. And I will tell you this. When I was, I'm watching it, and two young people on there doing it, and just a superb—I mean, just an excellent job. They save lives. You get good newscasters that are going down as to where a tornado is going. I mean, they were giving people 15, 20 minutes warning. That saved lives, and they would—they would take and they would focus right in on the map, and you could see, you know, these rural streets, and them, and they were even saying, "Get off this road." If you're on this road, uh, just some amazing uh, uh, coverage of it. But man, I mean that was a that was a bad uh, tornado. I guess over two dozen people died in uh, in that one. The um, I did see the roof of the Apollo Theater in Belvedere. I, I only uh, Illinois, the Apollo Theater in Belvedere, Illinois. I only used to live a few minutes from there. And uh, had driven by that many times. It was built like in 1922. And the roof of that fell, I guess, killing, last I saw, was killing uh, one person. Two are in critical condition, 28 injured uh, total. But um, I did see, it was, uh, some. I just saw it when I woke up. And so I don't have it here. And I was trying to get everything done for the show. Let me try to put it on Twitter later on when I find it again. Uh, it was, I think, in the it was Midwest. I believe it was. I believe it was Iowa, and these storm chases out there. I have never seen live uh, a tornado that had that type of clarity in the in the picture that it was taken. They were able to zoom in, and it was like you were right there. 
and this thing was just terrifying because they were that close in. But uh, I had uh, some friends that live in uh, in Arkansas uh, near Little Rock, and they actually went into their shelter. So a lot of people were were uh, were doing that. But man, I'm telling you, this has just been uh, you know the last month. It seems like every week it's like you're preparing for something. And they thought it, you know, even where I live, they thought it was you know we had a good chance of seeing a tornado or large hail, but it went all north of me, as most of the storms have gone north of of where uh, of where I live. But, yeah, that's the thing. It just it keeps you up. It just, you know, you just, you're like, ah, I really don't want to go to sleep because I don't know. And so I'm trying to go to sleep and can't go to sleep. It's like, ah, ah, ah. So surviving today, and I'll, I'll make it through, but... I'm telling you, I'm going to be. I'm going to be. When I get home, I'll fall asleep real quick this morning. All right, eight six six ninety red eye. If you'd like to get in, you know, talking about the um, uh, the election coming up and how uh, the entire Trump trial may affect all of this. This was interesting. Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom announced a national campaign to fight Republicans in red states, sparking rumors that he's gearing up to run for president. Newsom said Thursday that the new political action committee would focus on promoting his liberal agenda in local and state races across the nation. The PAC is called the Campaign for Democracy and is reportedly funded with $10 million that was left over from Newsom's campaign uh, to fight the failed recall effort in 2021. Quote, the problem in our country now, authoritarian leaders who are so hell-bent on gaining power and keeping it by whatever means necessary that they're directly attacking our freedoms in state after state. The ad specifically cited Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Texas Governor Greg Abbott as two Republican targets for the campaign. Newsom is also going on the road in a listening tour of states, including Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida. He's reportedly going to visit Indiana, South Carolina, Ohio, South Dakota, and Texas. Although Newsom had denied suggestions that he is planning on running for president, he has made several moves, appearing to aim towards raising his national profile. In spite of speculation by many pundits, a poll found that a vast majority of California citizens did not want him to run for pres- uh, for president. And only 22% said they supported a presidential run. Now, I've seen this over the last couple of days quoted. Is that because they don't want him to destroy the country or they believe he's doing such a great job in California? Was that asked to those people? Just wondering. Uh, He uh, made headlines recently when he admitted that illegal immigrants were becoming a drain on the state's resources after he extended the social safety net beyond citizens. The more we do, the burden is placed disproportionate on us. What are you talking about? 
We can't continue to fund all of these sites because of budgetary pressures now being placed on the state and the offsetting issues that I have to address. Why not? Why not? Is 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 Gavin Newsom's plan to go across and say, look, we don't want to be like Florida. We don't want to be like Texas. You know, and that's why we've raised taxes, and that's why we're the highest tax place, and that's why the cost of living is so great. But the fact is, we still can't afford to do everything, so the federal government needs to come in and help us. That's what I want to promote in Texas, Florida, South Dakota, Virginia, West Virginia, Indiana, and South Carolina. Okay, go ahead. I don't know. I just, you know, whatever. (laughs) I'm not impressed with Newsom. I never have been. Eric and I remember when he was, was it lieutenant governor? I can't remember what he was when he went, when he came to Texas. This goes back at least 10 years ago. And he was acting stupid. Well, we're going to go to Texas because we want to find out why they're growing business and we're not. Now, I don't think he could come to Texas, could he? <laughs> he can't spend. He can't. He can't come visit. Te- Wait a minute. He can't use any. He can't use any California money to visit some of those states, can he? Because remember of the because remember California decided that if you did not support young girls getting used to male genitalia in the bathrooms, they were gonna ban any state money used to travel to that particular state. Because they believe that little girls should get used to male genitalia in the bathroom and showers. That's the morality of today's liberal in 2023 and damn it Newsom wants to promote that go ahead we have a ton more of audio cuts coming up oh you know I got to play the one on uh, I got to get uh, oh what's it Dan Crenshaw on CNN with Dana Bash that was actually really really good when he got into because now the because of the uh, mass murder in uh, in Nashville, you know, there's uh, two things: the whole thing about you know uh, transphobic people, which um, you know, I it's like that's not the issue. I don't like transgender people. No, that's not the issue. That's not the issue. The issue is not transgender adults doing what they wish to do in their own lives goes back to that song that I was relating to last week. Do what you want to do. Be what you want to be. Don't step on my toes. That's what it's about. And like the other memes said, hey, you're an adult. Do whatever you want. Keep the children out of it. And that's what they can't do. Again, the liberal transgender activist movement 
has to lie about their intentions, just like the Democratic Party has to lie about their intentions. But the whole thing also with gun control in uh, in schools, get rid of all the guns. And we brought you last week, and Dan, Dan Crenshaw basically said the same thing that we did, that if you truly care about school safety, if that's your number one goal, all I care about is the kids, then you'd say, look, even if I even if I was completely gun control, which I'm not, but if I was completely gun control, I would say, I wish to protect the kids now. We're not going to get rid of all the guns. If we get rid of the so-called assault weapons, whatever the definition is that you come up with, even if you can't come up with the definition of what an assault weapon uh, is, but if you get rid of some rifles, there will still be other rifles. If you get rid of all the rifles, then there will still be um, there will still be handguns. Well, then we need to get rid of all the handguns. Well, you can't do that. There's a little thing called the Second Amendment. So by the time you did that, you know, if, even if you could get all the country to get behind you, it would still take another decade. But where the country stands right now, you will ne- maybe in a hundred years, but you're not going to get there. And so if you truly wish to protect the children, what do you do? Armed guards in schools. No, we can't do that because we hate the police. No, we can't do that because the police scare children. Then you really don't give a damn about the children. You just want to, as we have you know, talked about the narrative of Democrats, the virtue signaling. We want to do we want we wish to be delusional and demand that things happen now. And if they don't, we will scream rage, but we actually won't come up with any solutions that we can actually get the other side to agree with that actually would protect the children. Because if we protect the children, then gun control isn't an issue anymore and we can't do that. So we have to live in a delusional world and promote something that we know is impossible and can't happen, and that puts us at a higher level of morality, way above you. You see it in reparations. You see it in climate change. You see it across the board. Let's set our let's set our goal, our only goal, to a standard that cannot be met right now, that does not take care of the problem and may never take care of the problem, even if they got where they wanted to get. But I'm talking about their mentality. And let's let's promote it, and therefore we won't accomplish anything, but we can promote that we're better than you, that we care more about you because we wish to do the impossible now i can't imagine what we have that mindset i always just for a minute i would like to live in a mind of the radical left today just to see how that goes through your mind how do you deal with that is it just sparks going off electricity wildly through the synopsis of your brains seriously because there's no critical thinking involved 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE.
It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Eric's under the weather, just has no voice at all. So uh, we wish him well, and we want to see him back here. There's just too much news to cover. I don't like doing it by myself. I want him here. <laughs> uh, New York uh, Post uh, with a story just coming out a few minutes ago uh, stating that uh, Trump has confirmed that he will travel to New York uh, at noon today, uh, for to appear in uh, in court tomorrow, uh, but uh, he, uh, I don't know if he had confirmed it before, whether that's a news story or a reprint of a story. But they had that at uh, three seventeen Eastern, just a couple of minutes ago, uh, coming out that he has confirmed that uh, he will be uh, he will be there. You know, I do want to play this because this is a this is a great point made by Alan Dershowitz on this whole prosecution and the fact that there's leaks. Why isn't the DA investigating the leaks? Why isn't he promoting the fact that we need to go after these leaks that are happening? Here's Dershowitz uh, over the weekend on uh, Fox, uh, excuse me, not Fox, uh, but on News Nation with uh, with Chris Cuomo. First of all, why are we hearing about leaks and Bragg isn't investigating whether the leaks come from his office, the grand jury? It's a five-year felony if any of this happened. Here's a crime being committed right under his nose that he's not prioritizing for prosecution. Instead, we're waiting to see what the indictment uh, says. Look, the indictment will be stronger in many ways. It's not going to include a videotape of Donald Trump killing somebody on Fifth Avenue, but it may include some things that have tax implications or other things, but essentially it grows out of a non-disclosure agreement and a payoff of $130,000 to a former porn star. That's not the basis on which you stop a man from running for president against somebody in your own party who is the president. It takes a bar that has to be very high before a Democrat who's elected DA on a platform of Get Trump goes after somebody who's running against the head of his party. That needs a high bar. That high bar, I promise you, will not be reached in this indictment, even if it's stronger. And we have to keep our mind open because none of us has seen the indictment. Probably will. It'll probably be leaked, and there probably won't be a criminal investigation of that. <laughs> Interesting. Well, then you ask the question that if the uh, if if the leaks uh, are um, are false that are coming out, then why isn't Bragg saying there are leaks? We don't permit them. We will investigate them. But either way, why isn't he doing it? Why aren't the leaks important to him? Because we've had you know numerous leaks over the last week uh, on this, including the one. To uh, Associated uh, Press, it'd be interesting, though. I mean, because Dershowitz talks about, uh, you know, tax implications. I mean, that's what everybody's trying to speculate. We played earlier on uh, Dan Abrams uh, from Dan Abrams Live, where that question, and that's what they talk about all the legal stuff. And I've tried to look at every type of legal publication possible to say, okay, what would they actually go after? What would they actually go after here? Uh, 866-90-RED-EYE.
Call and join the conversation. 1-866-90-RED-I-RADIO. And he is Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Eric uh, had some morning off because he's under the weather. He has no voice. Oh, man. Not the week. <laughs> Not the week to have no voice. All right, I want to play this here because this is uh, Dan Crenshaw, Representative Dan Crenshaw from Texas uh, on with uh, Dana Bash. And uh, there's the headline there uh, at CNN, National Attack Renews Debate Over How Best to Protect Students. Let's hear a little bit of this back and forth. Uh, The truth of the matter is, if we had a minimum of of two armed guards or police officers at every single school in America, you'd probably prevent these from here on out. Well, you said that's the truth. You said that they're random. Uh, The the one through line in these deaths is that they are shootings. Therefore, they are done by guns and guns are the leading cause of death for children and teens in the U.S. So shouldn't helping save the lives of children be a top priority for you as a member of the House majority? No, it absolutely should be, which is why I say I would look to the thing that would absolutely stop this, which is putting armed police officers at every school. I, mean, I, I visit a lot of schools. I do, I do talks at various schools. It's very rare uh, that I go into a school, especially the newer ones, and they don't have some kind of armed police presence there at all times. So That's a preventive measure. That, I know, will, will stop this. And there was nothing like that in these last few mass shootings. There, there's no armed guards there. Um, so the so answer if, if is I'm just looking for guns. actual solutions, that would be it. So the answer is more guns. No, the answer is armed guards. No, the answer is armed guards, right? Armed guards, yes, more guns. The, the kind of guns that protect, protect the president, that protect you all at CNN. Is it easy to get into your headquarters at CNN? Absolutely not. There's armed guards there. Yeah. There's single points of entry. I think we should look at our schools as a place that is precious uh, and, and have the same kind of security that your corporate offices do, that we do in Congress. You know, if, if we consider a place to be important where our children go to learn every day, it should have the same level of security as every other place, whether it's, not, whether it's a shopping mall or a corporate office that's hard to get into. You're, you're not going to get rid of guns. And I'm not going to say that that, that people can no longer, that law-abiding citizens cannot defend themselves anymore and, and, and exercise their Second Amendment rights and think that's going to stop mass violence. People will figure out other ways to commit mass violence once they've, once they've unfortunately reached that point in their life. It's- so there you go, and uh, back and forth, and later on, you know, she said, I think it was at uh, Parkland, there was a one security guard. There wasn't at Uvalde, but she was making the point. Well, there were security uh, there were security protocols in effect and that didn't stop it as if okay it's not a hundred percent therefore we ban guns you can see how you can see she's just she's not happy with where it's going at all but we get to the point that even if you are somebody who is completely and totally pro-gun control you're still not going to solve the problem by just saying take all guns off the street even if i was and i'm not and i've stated this before <laughs> not even close I'm as Second Amendment as you can get. (laughs) But even if I was pro-gun control, I would be smart enough to understand, well, maybe if I was totally gun control, I wouldn't be smart enough to understand. (laughs) But I believe I would be smart enough to understand that's not going to solve the problem. Just by screaming, we need gun control. You know, like the one congressman that started screaming. If I scream... And as Jonathan Turley calls it, the age of rage, 
Just be, just rage, be angry, be furious. Don't come up with any solutions. Rage, be furious because we won't get to the impossible right now. And if we won't get to the impossible right now, then society has completely failed. You don't care. I care. Well, what about the fact that if we just, you know, put uh, two armed security guards or police officers, not security guard, po- trained police officers in schools? Because we're not going to get rid of it. Will that put a dent in school shootings if they are properly trained and aware? Will that reduce it? In all likelihood, yes. There is an expense to it, but he makes the point. We protect everybody else. You can see she just does not want to hear it at all. She's livid about it. But we're not going to have gun control. But this is across the board. It's like reparations, where they are right now in reparations. Five million, ten million. No, what is it now? Seven point something million is what the activists want now. And they just keep going up. It's like, it's not going to happen. We all know it's not going to happen. But they continue in this stupid ritual of, I care more than you because I wish to do the impossible. You don't care. You only want to do the impossible that's $5 million. We want to do the impossible that's worth $7.6 million per eligible recipient for reparations. We care more than you because we want to do the impossible $7.6 million. You want to do the impossible $5 million. Therefore, we care about you. Or we care more than you. You know what it reminds me of? I was once in this radio union. This is a, a, a true story. And I was in a, a pretty big market. Okay, pretty big market. And they, uh, the union came out and they were promoting the daylights out of the fact that for, uh, you know, they had raised the minimum entry uh, a salary for any talk show host in that market. And I'll never forget this because mm, I knew all the talk show hosts and I knew everybody that was in the union. And the minimum, and, and there was a big to-do about a big write-up in the union magazine and everything else. And, and it was <laughs> the, the minimum that a talk show host could make was 36000 And they had raised it from like, I don't know, 28000 to 36000 and it was like whatever the percentage is. We have ensured that whoever comes in entry level will now make thirty six thousand instead of twenty eight thousand, an immediate increase of twenty something percent. There wasn't any talk show host that was making under seventy five thousand dollars in that market. <laughs> so what were they negotiating? But they were virtue signaling. See, we've got 25. Yeah, but you weren't negotiating anything. The The lowest paid talk show host making $75,000. you are negotiating saying, when the lowest talk show host is making $75,000, we are going to ensure they make 36000 I know. It was like, it was like I, I don't know. I don't believe. I don't believe the Costanza episode was out yet where he was negotiating down <laughs> I don't know if that appeared. and 
We talked about it on the air, and the union threatened to uh, get me fired because I was talking bad about the union. I said, I'm not talking bad about the union. I'm just telling the truth about it because it was ridiculous. It was like, come on. And they all have their nice six-figure salaries, and you know, it's like, uh, all right, we're negotiating nothing and bragging about it. And it's the same thing here. There's a ton of virtue signaling there, ton of virtue signaling here. We want to get rid of all guns. Well, it's not going to happen. Well, then we're just going to be enraged. We won't do anything to help. Well, how about having police officers? No, because that means more guns. You mean like protects the president, protects Congress, protects state houses, protects CNN, as he brought up there. Big communications companies uh, all have it, like, like what protects you. And it's like, well, more guns, more guns, more guns. Yeah, like protect you. And they just can't deal with it. If they can't promote that their goal is the impossible now, and that's the only answer, is to do the impossible right now, but it's not possible, we can't do it. Well, then society's flawed, and I care more, because we should be able to do it now. Well, we can't. The process just, it doesn't matter. I don't want to hear that. I'm just going to rage. I want to rage. That's all I want to do. I wish to be angry all the time. I don't want any common sense solutions. I don't want to actually deal with anything in my mind that might solve the problem now. But then again, when you look at it, as I stated before, if you solve the problem, if you solve the problem, well, then you have nothing to defend. If you don't have chaos, you can't promote your impossible narrative. If there's actually a solution, you lose the ability to do that. And so, you know, that's where we're at now. We've been dealing with this for the longest, for the longest time. And the other thing is the whole thing, well, we live in a uh, a trans, it's, everything's transphobic, transphobic, transphobic. I don't think, you know, it really doesn't matter what I think if you're an adult and and you believe that you're the opposite sex do i believe other do i believe people actually think that yeah do i think all people legitimately think it or you know i don't know i don't know i never have i saw an interesting discussion going on uh on uh, on social media that talked about well you know and it was a great point it said, who are the people that think that they're the opposite sex? For example, do people actually think, do you actually feel male? Do you actually feel female? Or are you just there and you recognize what you are? First off, based on the body parts portion of it, and then when you learn science, the DNA part of it. But do people, I know that I've never walked around thinking, oh, I identify as a male, as if it's a thought process. It's an observation process, but it isn't a thought process. And I thought that was really interesting that if you identify that that is something additional that most people, that if you identify as another sex, that that is something, you know, because people say, well, we all identify. Well, we actually don't. We actually don't think about it.
I don't feel male. I am male. I don't know what would. It's the only thing that I know. But there isn't a feeling where I said I feel male. Except when I project, you know, you know my my aggressiveness and and my power. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it's it's not. Oh, you're afraid of it. Afraid of anything. You can be whatever you wish to be. But this is about children. It's about brainwashing children. It's about teaching sexualized content to children. And once you focus in on that, they can't win. And so the rage is there. That's why. The rage is there because they don't want any discussion on it. As we found out last week when we played that audio uh, that was um, from uh, uh, Congress from last year. That was really, really telling. If you ask questions on gender, and it was serious uh, uh, questions. Who was it? It was, uh, oh, I can't think of the representative that it was, that was asking it last week. And it was fascinating because he was asking questions. Well, the question is transphobic. What do you mean? I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what, what the parameters of this discussion are, and you're already calling me transphobic. So they don't want you talking about it. It just is. And if you don't abide by it, then you have to be some kind of phobic. Well, fine, then you're a bunch of misogynist femophobes. We can name call all day. Now let's actually discuss the issue. No, we can't discuss the issue because it may offend somebody and then they'll commit suicide. That was the answer she gave to the congressman last week. 866-90-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Uh, Eric is under the weather. He's got no voice. Laryngitis. Hurts when he talks. We want him back. He's been gone too long. Hopefully he'll be back soon. Coming up following the top of the hour, we'll have the latest story that uh, Saudi Arabia and other OPEC oil producers yesterday announced further oil output cuts of around 1.6 million barrels, or 1.16 million barrels uh, a day. That could cause... Uh, gasoline prices here in the United States to go up, uh, well, quite quickly. You know, we know this is the, I know that gas prices, trying to think, uh, probably up, gas prices up 75 cents from where they were at the end of January where I live. And a lot of it, you know, is because I live in an urban area, and so the special blends and all that makes it so there's an increase in, in cost there. So, um, most of America is feeling that, and we may feel more, and then we still have the summer driving season ahead, and uh, OPEC now planning on cutting over a million uh, barrels uh, per day. Now, when you think about it, the United States uses, I, I don't know what we're up to right now. I don't know. I Anywhere between over the last 20 years, about 10 years, I'll say, between 18 and 22 million barrels a day, depending on uh, you know, COVID. 
the use of oil went went way down. So, but that's where we are right now. But we'll get to that. And HR one, the Republicans talking about energy coming up. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. If you can't listen live overnight, you can listen when and where you choose. I'm Gary McNamara. I'm here. Eric has no voice. He's not here. Laryngitis, folks. So hopefully he gets well soon. Uh, all right. So the uh, the big news, Joe Manchin got, Joe got rolled by Joe. And he's not happy about it. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin is not pleased with the Biden administration when uh, he uh, agreed to uh, pass last year's Inflation Reduction Act that they needed his vote. Uh, One of the things he wanted in it was a reduction in the subsidies for electric vehicles. And, you know, we had said uh, at that point when we saw what was in the bill that the administration would try to do anything because they 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 could not. It's impossible. The electric if, if they would have followed what was in the Inflation Reduction Act and Eric and I both said this, if they would have followed it, they wouldn't have been able to sell any electric vehicles. Because Manchin insisted on numerous conditions for the $7,500 tax credit, uh, the bill was supposed to encourage more U.S. manufacturing and ensure that subsidies didn't go to the rich. Uh, the law imposed an income limit to qualify for subsidies uh, to a top limit of if you make uh, under $150,000, as well as price caps for vans SUVs and pickups. Uh, let me see. Vans, SUVs, and pickups, 80,000. Sedans, 55. If it went over it, you didn't get the subsidy. So he didn't want, Manchin didn't want the subsidies going to the uh, rich. And he wanted basically. Uh, to increase the made-in-America components of electric vehicles. Now, as we said all along, that's impossible because at the same time that they put that in the bill to please Joe Manchin, we know the left is doing everything to stop mining in the United States for the critical components of of uh, electric, uh, excuse me, of uh, of batteries. And so to qualify for half of the credit in the law, an increasing share of the vehicle's batteries, minerals, such as lithium and nickel, 
had to be extracted or processed in the United States or in a country which has the U.S. has a free trade agreement. The other half of the credit was supposed to be made uh, available for vehicles in which the majority of the battery components are made in North America, starting at 50% this year, up to 100% by 2029. Now, we said that's impossible. It's not going to happen. And if Joe Manchin believes it, the administration is going to try to find any way to go around it, and he would get screwed over in what he wanted. He said he didn't get rolled, he got rolled. As Wall Street Journal writes, few few cars currently on the market were expected to qualify for even half of the credit. Most minerals are mined and processed in countries in which we don't have free trade agreements. Key battery components mostly are produced in China, Japan, and South Korea. The Treasury Department's proposed rules for the tax credit drive a big rig through Mr. Manchin's conditions. What did they do? They came up with the whole concept that, all right, we won't sell to consumers. We'll promote leasing. Wasn't covered in the bill. EVs leased to consumers will be able to qualify for a separate commercial vehicle tax credit, which does not entail sourcing, income, or price restrictions. Dealers or auto finance companies could pocket the tax credits or pass them on to customers. Ah, they found a way around that. The income cap, the 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 price restrictions, everything is gone. Then they decided, okay, let's redefine the definition of free trade agreements. We're not actually going to do it with company or countries that we have free trade agreements with. We'll just make a a quick deal on this issue and call it a free trade agreement. And that's what they're doing. They struck a deal with Japan this week, negotiating a deal with Europe to uh, do the same thing because these other countries were screaming that by doing this, by going after American-made materials, you were, in a way, because of the subsidies, committing a trade violation. Then the other thing they decided to do was the materials that went in the batteries because they were saying the components must be treated. They changed. They said, okay, let's define these not as components but as critical minerals, which then we can get the exception to bring them in from other countries. As Manchin uh, said, it is horrifying that the administration continues to ignore the purpose of the law, which is to bring manufacturing back to America and ensure that we have reliable and secure supply chains, he said Friday. It's a pathetic excuse to spend more taxpayer dollars as quickly as possible and further cedes control to the Chinese Communist Party in the process. Well, you shouldn't have passed a damn thing, Mr. Manchin. You are dealing with a pathological liar. We told you that. We told you there was no way they'd be able to sell the amount of electric vehicles under these rules and regulations, and they would find a way to redefine it. It's exactly what they did. The rewrite of the rules, according to the Wall Street Journal, means that the real cost of climate and energy subsidies in uh, 
the IRA will be far more than the $391 billion the Democrats claim when they pass the bill. Goldman Sachs now estimates the cost, $1.2 trillion over 10 years. Unions and progressives are also angry about the administration's one-off mineral trade agreements, which aren't being submitted to Congress and don't include stringent environmental and labor rules. Public citizen, the left-wing lobby, warn that dangerous, dirty mining corporations that violate human rights could launder their minerals in Japan before shipping them to the United States. This Wall Street Journal writes, well, what do they expect? The administration has made climate its paramount priority and knows fewer consumers will buy EVs without subsidies. The public can comment on the proposed rule for 60 days, and Mr. Manchin said his comment is simple. Stop this now. Just follow the law. We wish him luck. Don't expect Biden to listen. Uh, They got what they wanted when the bill passed last year. Yep. And when you passed it, Joe Manchin, and now he's, oh, I was betrayed. No, you were rolled. I think they said it to, uh, oh, I can't think of his name now, in Animal House. (laughs) And they said, you trusted us. (laughs) Flounder. Said to Flounder. Flounder, you, uh, you blank up. You trusted us. Mansion, you know, and we told you it was going to happen. They weren't going to be able to sell. We said this. There's no way the Democrats agree to this. There's no way the administration is going to agree that that we can't sell electric vehicles. They're going to do anything they possibly can. You know, they will just we're just going to redefine, just change the definition of words. It's what we do. And now Mansion, I was betrayed. No, you were a tool of the Democratic Party. You played into their game because you were trying to be, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be Mr. Solve the Problem. And what did you do? You created a nightmare, Joe Manchin. Jeez. I wish Eric was here. Because we knew this was going to happen. We knew this was going to happen. There's no way they could sell electric vehicles. They're, they weren't going to get that. They were not going to get that kind of production of lithium and other minerals in the United States as fast as they wanted it. It was never going to happen. And they were never going to be able to sell those vehicles and give the subsidies. We knew the administration would do this. We knew it, and Joe Manchin didn't. I don't believe him. Sorry, I don't believe him. Because now he's trying to play, Manchin's trying to play the victim. I was betrayed by the administration. You know what my response is? Shut up. Golly. And most people that looked at this bill said, the administration isn't going to go for this. They can't sell only electric vehicles. They're going to find a way around it. And they did. 866-90-RED-EYE. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller. And I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. Drivers should be familiar with how their actions affect their motor carrier's Compliance Safety Accountability, or CSA, score in the seven basic categories. The driver fitness score is based on the physical and medical qualifications of drivers. The vehicle maintenance category 
requires drivers to know how to inspect CMVs and secure cargo. Hours of service compliance relies on drivers keeping accurate records of duty and abiding by hours of service limits. The unsafe driving category is affected by unsafe driving behaviors such as failing to wear a seatbelt or obey traffic laws. Drivers should understand the drug and alcohol prohibitions to prevent hurting their carrier's controlled substances and alcohol basic score. And drivers who transport hazmat must know how to safely transport hazardous materials according to the regulations. The final basic category, crash prevention, is based on how many crashes a motor carrier has been involved in, so drivers must know how to drive safely to avoid crashes. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has laryngitis, so it's me and you. Um, just you know, we we, we talk about uh, the uh, the uh, infrastructure bill that was not an infrastructure bill, but was a climate change bill, and the rules on electric uh, vehicles and subsidies, which now the executive branch is just changing definitions of words and and doing other things not to abide by the uh, law. Uh, listen to what's going on in, in Washington State. The uh, state legislature uh, passed a, um, a uh, uh, capital gains tax. It was passed by the legislature. The Washington Supreme Court, I think it was last week, I'm not sure if it was last week or not, but recently they uh, – voted 7-2 to two to uphold the capital gains tax passed by the legislature. Now, the state's constitution says the state can only tax income up to 1% and the rate has to be flat. The court decided that capital gains taxes are not income tax and that taxing them amounts to an excise tax. As John Fund writes in his column, with this twisted logic as precedent, the court in the future could say that a personal income tax is really just a sales tax on your labor services. The dissenting opinion by Justice Cheryl Gordon McLeod was scathing, quote, in a contest between a Washington statute and the plain language of the Washington Constitution, the judicial branch has the duty to uphold the Constitution In closing arguments uh, arguments before the judges, former State Attorney General Rob McKenna said, every taxing authority in our nation, from the IRS down to the states, treats taxes on capital gains as income taxes because capital gains are income. Didn't matter. That's the problem when you have liberal justices and not justices that actually abide by the law. They will actually change law. And the definition of words to meet their agenda. Uh, You know, you had, let me see here, you had 
uh, opponents of the tax uh, promise to launch an initiative to overturn the decision. They point out that in 2010, the father of Microsoft founder Bill Gates led a ballot campaign for an income tax that applied only to couples earning 550000 or more. It was crushed 64 to 36%. Uh, but it passed, goes into effect immediately, within hours of the Supreme Court ruling. Fisher Investments, a wealth management firm based in Camas, Washington, issued a one-sentence press release in honor of the Washington State Supreme Court's wisdom and knowledge of the law and in recognition of whatever it may do next. Fisher Investments is immediately moving its headquarters from Washington State to Texas. Fisher has 4,200 employees. It will keep an office in Washington State, but it's expected to shrink, shrink as transfers and hiring brings more employees to its new headquarters in Texas. Others are likely to follow Fisher's lead. Many more companies and people will move from Washington State. Uh, tweeted Matt uh, McElwain of the Seattle-based venture capital firm Madrona Venture Group. Higher taxes and excessive regulation will be driving business out of Washington State, said Matt Chancey, a tax specialist at Coastal Investment Advisors. He's recently seen clients abandon California and New York in favor of Florida, Texas, Tennessee, and Puerto Rico. Wealthy clients are portable and can relocate, and many of them will. But it just shows you. I thought I just wanted to relate. I know they're two different topics: the uh, the uh, electric vehicle subsidies on the national level, and this the capital gains tax from the state level in Washington State. But it just shows you what Democratic bureaucrats will do to change definitions to get around the intent of the law on the federal level, and what courts will do. What liberal justices will do, we'll just change the definition. And I think the greatest point that was made is that an income tax, capital gains, is income. That's income coming in. No, we're going to call that an excise tax. And I think the greatest point was this. If you can do that, if an obvious income tax can be redefined then why can't you just why can't you just say a personal income tax is really just a sales tax on your labor services that we can have the highest income personal income tax that we want because that's just a we're, we're just it's a sales tax on your labor services it's not an income tax it's a sales tax that's your labor services they can change whatever they want. And these liberal justices just redefine the definition to get what they want. And now it would take a, a, a vote because that, that's a Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court is just ignoring the Constitution by stating, oh, we're just going to call it something else because we can. And that's where the left is going in this country. There is no definition. Look, if a man can be a woman, (laughs) whenever a man says so, then why can't an income tax become an excise tax or an income tax 
become a sales tax? It can because we say so. A lot of critical thinking in that statement. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric uh, Laryngitis. So, we hope he's all right. I hope you're here. From- no, I didn't talk to him because <laughs> he can't talk at all. He just he texted me yesterday. So, hopefully he's uh, he's all right very soon. All right, Governor DeSantis yesterday uh, spoke uh, to Pennsylvania conservatives. Let's hear part of his address. We reject soft on crime policies like eliminating cash bail and jailbreak legislation, which lets people out of prison early without even completing their full sentences. If you look at what's going on in New York or Illinois or California, you have a combination of all those things where someone's committing crimes, they release them, no cash bail, they go right back on the street, and they commit more crimes before they even stand trial for the crimes they had already committed. That puts people's safety at risk, uh, and that's one of the reasons why you've seen crime spike. And there may be no uh, uh, issue that's caused crime to spiral more out of control in certain cities such as Philadelphia than the election of progressive prosecutors funded by people like George Soros. These prosecutors go in with an ideological agenda. They think it's their role as a prosecutor to manipulate the law, to ignore the law, to pick and choose which laws they will enforce all in service of politics and pursuing ideology. So we've seen it in places like Philadelphia, where they don't prosecute people the way they should. We've seen it in San Francisco. We've seen it in Chicago. Prosecutors are not above the law. If they don't like a law, then the appropriate thing to do is to resign your position and run for the legislature and try to change a law. You have no right to nullify the law, and they've put so many people at risk as a result of doing that. And now you have this Manhattan district attorney who his whole platform when he got elected was that he was going to downgrade as many felonies as possible to misdemeanors. He was going to keep as many people out of jail, even habitual criminals, as possible. Uh, And he was going to go light on all these things as part of, quote, criminal justice reform. So that's his posture. He doesn't want to charge people with felonies. So now he turns around, purely for political purposes, and indicts a former president on misdemeanor offenses that they're straining to try to convert into felonies. That is when you know that the law has been weaponized for political purposes. That is when you know that the left is using that to target their political opponents. Uh, And I can tell you this, uh, these Soros-backed DAs, they are a menace to society. They are a menace to the rule of law. 
You know, just interesting because I'm sorry, I didn't know he was going to finish with that last part. The the controversy. I think it was a top headline at at Fox. DeSantis leaves out something. He didn't say Trump's name. Would you have even noticed? <laughs> like, what are what are we trying to do here? Trying to create as much uh, animosity as possible. I also thought the thing that was really interesting to me is was really interesting to me was um, sorry I'm trying to I've got I've got problems here with my headset. Uh, hang on here, folks. Hang on one second. There it is. Okay, head problems with my headset. Um, what I fi- find uh, 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 interesting is both sides. I mean, you see, it, and it's online. I'm not saying it's official, but you see it going back and forth. You know uh, that. You know that that started, then became a Fox News headline that DeSantis left left something out. I'm like, what did he leave out? He actually he said the former president, a former president. He didn't say Donald Trump, and there was fury about that. I'm like, come on. Stop it. That's just that's that's just getting ridiculous. And then I had mentioned earlier, you saw this more on social media, and this is I know in response to Trump's people when DeSantis first spoke about it and talked about, well, I don't know what goes into if you paying hush money to, you know, a, a stripper that you had an affair you know, that you allegedly had an affair with, and the and the Trump camp went crazy about it, that he's a rhino and uh, you know, he's a uh, liberal and just, they went, they went crazy. And then, then I saw, uh, and there's people that I'm assuming I'm guessing are more aligned with DeSantis were saying, wait a minute, DeSantis came out and said he would not extradite Trump. Why is Trump going? Why is Trump asking what, why are the Trump camp? Why were they asking for DeSantis to protect the president and here the president's going? And now DeSantis says, uh, no, I won't extradite him, and Trump's going anyway. Well, what's going on? You can't have it both ways. I'm like, this isn't really the argument to be having right now in the Republican Party. But, of course, it's it's going to happen. You're going to see something. I mean, you're going to see stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, the primary campaign has started. I really wonder whether DeSantis will wait for a while to see how this all pans out. Because after Tomorrow, how loud would this be a week from now? You know, this trial may not go on. We'll hear what the what the Trump lawyers are doing. But if the trial doesn't happen for another year, it's going to be pretty quiet. There's a lot of other stuff to talk about. How will they keep Trump in the news? And how will the Republicans keep <laughs> Hunter and Joe Biden in the news? All right, you ready for this? Here we go, because I knew this was the case. Another another poll out there. Nearly six out of every ten voters admit that they are now staying quiet about certain issues in order to keep the peace and to avoid conflict, a new poll says from Morning Consult. In the poll of 2,000 voters commissioned by the State Policy Network, researchers found that 59% of respondents insist they are now taking such steps, especially when it comes to hot-button subjects such as gender identity, political campaigns, and abortion. Quote, we've gone through a period where debate on difficult topics has gotten very ugly, said State 
Policy Network senior messaging strategist Aaron Norman. It's common to see people compare relatively minor disagreements on policy to instances of slavery and genocide. (laughs) Most people just aren't interested in having those types of discussions. And for most people, politics isn't the focus of their life. It's easier just to stay quiet than deal with any potential fallout, especially when you see how the mob can swiftly turn and threaten careers and livelihood, which means 59% of voters out there say they are afraid of the intimidation. They are afraid of the bullying that can threaten their careers and livelihood. They're afraid of the mob. Still, Norman uh, says uh, she isn't surprised that researchers found that when voters do speak out, less than one out of every four of them insists they aren't lying about their true feelings. The people you do see speaking out are the ones drawn into the chaos or have a significant incentive like getting elected or making a lot of money off of making people angry uh, to do so. Most people are talking quietly in circles of people they trust, not with a megaphone. Topping the list of subjects voters said that uh, make every effort to steer clear of is gender identity at 34% followed by political campaigns and abortion, both at 32%. I think it's not political campaigns, it's Trump. (laughs) I guarantee you. A lot of political uh, communication is designed to stir up emotion, particularly fear, Norman added. You're seeing the result of decades of people deciding to use fear to persuade on politics. It's why Obama was able to win so decisively in 2008. He was talking about hope and a brighter future, and that breaks the cycle of fear that was very welcomed (laughs) until he got into office, and then it was all fear. Who do you think started to fund the police and the police paranoia based on the lie that police departments are systemically racist? That, That was Obama. He started it. Who do you think started, really got going, was the first major politician, uh, the president, to redefine Title IX to embolden the liberal transgender activist movement? That was Obama. The ultimate in misogyny and febophobia was created by Obama. The lie about the police was created by Obama. He was the catalyst. He got it all going. Hope and change. Come on. So uh, there you go. Uh, On the subject of guns, 27% of respondents say they now stay away from the subject, the same as with race relations, and 25% uh, said they no longer openly discuss the issue of immigration. There you go. Us, nah. Mm. I can't imagine living in that world. I really can't. 
Now, I don't talk about it everywhere. It's not like I, in fact, people who know me and uh, are always amazed. They say, you really don't talk a lot about politics. Well, if I'm asked, but I do it all the time. You know, it's like, so if I'm somewhere and the topic is different, hmm, what would be an example? Golf, for example. I'm probably talking golf. Or if, you know, involved in something else, I'm talking about that. But if someone asks me, yeah, but I don't walk around all the time because I probably would do it more often in my personal life if I wasn't doing it 25 hours a week. (laughs) You're completely wrapped up in it. I will say this, that there is a, the one difference between doing this for a living and probably people that aren't involved in talk radio or involved in it every day is I wake up wanting to know what's going on every day. Can't wait. Whether it's good news or bad news, because I get to analyze it and I've done it so long, there is a joy, there's a there's a great satisfaction in analyzing everything that's going on. And so when I meet people, they say, how can you do that? Because I try to stay away from the news and you seem to be the opposite. And I go, I am the opposite. I want to hear everything that's going on. I want to analyze it. Well, don't you get depressed? No. It is what it is. And I, you know, Eric, with with Eric, I get to analyze it in the most honest way possible to give as honest a, as a of a perspective while still letting people know where I stand, but getting giving an honest perspective of what's going on. And I know that's appreciated by a lot of people out there. So no, I it's I love it. I love it. I would never want I would never ever and I know I've got I've got some relatives and I have some friends that completely ignore that I don't want to know. I don't tell me. I don't want to hear it. It's too depressing. Wow. I mean, they get more upset about the possibility of knowing what's going on than I think they would if they actually knew what was going on. That's unique. 86690 Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has laryngitis. Hopefully he's back soon. I will say this. The one good thing I like is we were talking about that survey that says like 59% of people right now are wary of, you know, talking about issues out there. They just don't want to deal with it. And I said, no, no, that's not me. That's not Eric. It's not a lot of you either. I got a few emails last week that were great to get where people, you know, wrote to me and said, it's really great listening to you guys because you give me ammunition to use. <laughs> you know, with my liberal friends. And I went, okay, I like that. All right. <laughs> you come here to get properly armed, <laughs> rhetorically excuse me, rhetorically speaking here. We're not talking literal arms. We don't want to upset anybody out there. Rhetorically speaking and so that's really cool. When we when I when I get those kind of things, I'm like, all right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, <laughs> giving you in, giving you information, and that's what we do here, and we you know give information about what's really going on because that's what talk radio has really become. It's really not about discussing the issues anymore. It's what the truth is, and and what the lies are, and what the truth is. 
And that's and unfortunately, it's become that way. That's the change I've seen since I got into 34 years ago. And it's a huge change. You can't even agree on a base level argument anymore because you can't you, you can't even set the parameters because the left isn't willing to admit it. That's a problem. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Do we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.